What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 23 of Full Draw Friday. Obviously, it's Sunday, not Friday. The week kind of got away from me. It was real busy, had some stuff come up, and we've been trying to kill some turkeys to get on some birds. Probably could have killed one Friday, but we didn't get the job done, so I'm still on that. That's why this one's coming out so late, so apologies for that. We'll get back to it on Friday next week, hopefully. But today I'm going to talk about managing fields and open areas. I think that's one thing that gets overlooked a lot when we're talking about habitat management for wildlife. People think the only thing you can do with them is plant food plots, and when you've planted all the plots you can plant, then you're kind of out of things to do with them. So I'm going to give you some ways that you can manage those areas without necessarily having to plant anything that's really going to benefit your wildlife. And then we will, I guess, get into the week. Uh, we got a good episode coming out tomorrow with Luke Oswald from Publicly Challenged on the Normal Podcast, so be sure to check that out as well. But for today, we're going to talk about managing fields and open areas. Mm. All right, so... When it comes to any kind of, it doesn't even have to be a field, any kind of habitat, they are categorized into successional stages. And that is determined by the species population, or species composition, rather, within a general area. And it's not based on height either. So a lot of times early succession gets confused with short grass, let's say. And really, that's not the case. It has to do with what species are in there. Uh, your first seral stage is generally going to be dominated by annuals. And that's usually what's going to happen after opening the soil for the first time. So whether you're burning it or disking it or whatever you may be doing, we'll talk a little bit about those things, options that you can use. But that's that's what's going to be in the first successional stage, the first seral stage. Is everything that's been laying there for years and hasn't had a chance to grow that you've now gave room for or brought up closer to the surface is now going to germinate and grow. That's your first seral stage. Perennials are going to dominate your second stage. And then from there, that's when you're going to start seeing your grasses and things like that that are coming back every year. From there, shrubs, trees, woody plants are going to dominate the start of the third phase. And the third phase is the longest one because this is where we start to develop into the forest in the latter part of the third stage is dominated by trees, younger trees. And then once it becomes a mature forest and there's not a lot of stuff near the ground at that five foot and below that we talk about for deer all the time, that's when you're going to be in your fourth seral stage, and that's a mature forest. So really what you're looking for are the forbs in the early part of the successional growth. That's going to be the most important part for wildlife management, and that's the beggar's lice, pokeweed, ragweed, goldenrod, things of that nature that, especially for deer, that they're going to like to eat. And they'll eat it throughout the summertime and as long as it's there um, before it dies off in the fall. So that's what's really going to be important. That's what you're looking for when you're managing these fields. That's the stage that you want it to be in. You're going to want to kill grasses, especially carpet grass. That's going to cause what they call arrested succession, which is where the perennial grasses don't allow the seed bank to germinate, and that suppresses any other successional growth. So you're going to soon be stuck in that stage of perennial grasses, and if you go and mow it, it's not going to do any good. So the way you get rid of that kind of stuff is herbicide, uh, fires, 
And then disking. Disking is actually one of the best ways to reduce grasses better than even spraying or burning because even after that, some of those are going to come back. If you disk it up and unroot those grass plants, that's going to be the best way to kill them. One thing that's important to remember is pretty is generally not good for wildlife. If you see deer eating grass, that probably means you have pretty poor habitat because that's going to be their last resort. They don't like it. Deer just, they don't eat grass. It's a very small percentage of their diet. They would much rather eat those forbs and weeds I was talking about earlier, the brambles and briars, stuff like that. Not obviously the briars, but blackberries and whatever comes with them. So that's what you're going to be, what you want, and that's what something you have to look out for in the early parts is those annual grasses or perennial grasses, especially that carpet grass that's going to cause that arrested succession, arrested succession. Say that five times fast. Maybe you can't. I can't. And then you got that's what you're going to want to take care of so that you can get into the correct stage for the wildlife. High-quality food plots, and this is where it becomes really important. High-quality food plots, on average, are going to be anywhere from 2,000 to 10,000 pounds per acre worth of forage. Obviously, that's a big range, but it depends on what you plant and how well you plant it and your soil and all that kind of stuff. And uh, as we all know, that stuff all takes money and a lot of time. Now, managing your fields is going to take time, too, but it doesn't have to cost as much as your food plots when you're talking about the fertilizers, when you're talking about the herbicides that you're going to have to use for it multiple times a year, potentially. When you're talking about the seeds, even if you're doing a cover crop and then the fall seeds or if you're doing spring seeds, corn, beans, clover, doesn't matter. It's all have a, It all has a cost associated with it, and that's the biggest one that's going to be different from managing your fields in other ways. And that's not to say food plots are bad. Obviously, they're one of the most important things. And they can, they do provide more forage than anything else, even doing your fields properly. But one thing to note is that when you take care of your fields, you can have up to 4,000 pounds an acre in your early successional stages of forage for those deer. And that's, the range is going to be somewhere between 600 and 4,000 um, if you thin it out and you burn it, you're going to be averaging 500 to 1,400. If you really get in there and manage it for select species and stuff like that, that's when you can start to see more of that 4,000 pounds per acre, and it depends on what's native to your area as well, what you have available, what's going to grow. But that's potential for over 1,000 pounds per acre of forage for those deer that you didn't actually have to plant. You either burn it, or you use herbicides on it, whether it be like a 2,4-D glyphosate mix, something to that effect, or you disc it, or you do two of those things together. A lot of times if you have some grass or something, you're going to have to use herbicide or fire first and then come in with the disc. The combination of those things, like I said, the thinned and the burned is going to give you the most potential for forage. Just burned, you're looking at 150 to 500. If you just thinned it out, you're looking at 500 to 800 pounds, and then unmanaged you could be as low as 25 pounds of forage per acre on an unmanaged field. And that's that's not saying that's saying if it's not just completely grass because you've let it go to that. Now, when you talk about the food plots and stuff, I mentioned fertilizers. That's still an option for this, especially if you're in the early management part of it where you've just burned or dissed or used your herbicides. But the thing that is kind of the same with food plots is put your lime down first and then see what happens. 
Now, obviously, if you're doing your plots, you want to do soil tests, and then you can figure out how much phosphorus, potassium to put down as well. But a lot of times, if you're just looking for successional growth, lime is enough to do it. You bring your pH to a suitable level for a lot of that stuff to grow that you're looking for. And then you don't have to spend the money on fertilizer. It's not required most of the time if you just put lime down. So try that lime before the fertilizer, and then that's another saved cost. Even if you do have to put some lime down, you're still not putting the other fertilizer down. That's another saved cost over putting a food plot in. And you're doing something with your this open area that maybe has just been grass for 20 years or whatever it is. Or maybe it's starting to get pretty out of hand in the later part of the third stage, and it's almost too thick for the deer to even walk through and use, and there's not a lot of browse in there for them, and it's not a lot of good cover for them to bed in necessarily because it's too thick. These are some things that you can do. Now, when you're talking about burning, and we've done podcasts on that in the past, depending on what stage you're in, will increase your likelihood of a a really big fire or being able to still contain that fire. So if you're in like the third seral stage and your forest development started and you're looking at shrubs and trees and all those woody plants, that's a lot of fire load when you're talking about burning that. So that's where you might have to go out there and thin it out a little bit first and get rid of some of that debris and stuff and then burn it. That way you can get a little better handle on it and it doesn't get away from you. But burning is one of the best things that you can do for this. Again, aside from disking when it comes to grasses, burning is going to be the cheapest option generally because you're not paying anything for it unless you pay for a torch or something, and you don't necessarily have to do that even. So that's going to be your cheapest option, and it's, it's one of the best ones. Another thing you're going to want to do is to kill the non-natives that are out there and the invasive species because they will just take over. Uh, big ones for us, locust trees, any kind of locust trees. Autumn olives are a big one. I know they're having uh, kudzu problems down south of us, which is a viney plant that just takes over everything. Those kind of things you're definitely want to going to look out for, and it'll be dependent on your area to what is considered non-native, obviously. So wherever you're at in the country, that might differ, but you're going to want to look out for those and kill them. Do the research on how to kill them properly. That way you get rid of them. And then that's going to allow all the native stuff to grow and those forbs that you're looking for. And you're not going to have one thing taken over. And then, even though maybe you've gone in and done all this work, now you've just let all these autumn olives grow up, and you kind of have a monoculture anyway that the deer really don't like. They might move through it occasionally, but they're not really going to bed in it that much. There's no real nutritional benefit to them. Things of that nature. So that's something, another thing to look out for is killing those non-natives. Mowing is not really going to be the best for really anything in this. Just like when we talk about mowing clover plots, so that you can have just clover out there and then spraying for your grass, it's not going to promote diversity. That's where you're going to want to spray, again, burn, disc, that kind of stuff. Spraying is a lot better than mowing when it comes to that, when you get to that point. So keep that in mind as well. Once you mow something, it doesn't change the successional stage because, like I said earlier, that's determined by the species composition, not the height of it. And you can actually hurt yourself by killing the weeds that are in it and then allowing those grasses to grow up even more. So then eventually you're just mowing a grass yard. And again, another thing we said earlier, pretty is not good for wildlife. So if it's this nice manicured looking grass lot, the deer aren't going to like that. I think everybody kind of has a picture of their, in their mind of what, when you see it, when you see it, that field that you're just like, man, I would love to hunt over that, or that looks like somewhere deer would be. That's kind of what you're looking for. And a lot of times that is in the kind of the successional it's that early successional stages that we're talking about. You've got a little bit of woody plants in there, 
you've got the brambles, you've got the forbs, and you've got some annual grasses. So that's kind of what, when you see that, that's what you're shooting for, that picture in your head. And you can Google pictures of early successional stage fields, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But again, biggest things to remember, fire, herbicide, and disking are going to be the best things to do to accomplish all this. And you're looking for food and cover. And we're not talking necessarily just about bedding cover, but we're talking about where the deer will want to move through. Now, they might bed in some of it, especially depending on the type of annual grasses you have or how many of them there are. But that's not a real benefit for for bedding because actually when you have a little bit of food in there, it's going to promote more bedding than just grasses. So a lot of guys want to plant switchgrass for bedding. It's not really going to attract them in there, and bedding's not necessarily attracted anyway, but they're going to want to be close to browse because they're going to get up and eat a couple times during the day, and they don't want to have to go far from their bed to do it. So if you've got that food and cover, you are going to promote some more bedding. And again, it doesn't necessarily just have to be for that. It's got to be something they're comfortable moving through and browsing through, but it will you'll see more deer bedding on it if you are in those early stages than you would either in a mature forest or with just grass out there. So and that's kind of the the summary of it again. Fire herbicide disking, killing those non-natives, keeping it in those early successional stages where you've got the forbs and all that. So you're looking at potential of 4,000 pounds an acre of forage, stuff that the deer are going to want to eat. And then keep notes on everything. I think that's another big thing that gets missed a lot. Keep notes on what you're seeing, what it looked like last year, what it looked like this year. Pictures, videos are great. And then you can kind of see where you're at and what you need to do. Um, If you're trying some herbicides on some stuff and you can't find information on them and you spray something, take a note of that, what you sprayed on it when you sprayed it. If it died, if it didn't die, if it came back the next year, and then you'll be able to see all that stuff. And you'll know kind of where you're at instead of going back and just trying to remember what you did the year before or trying to remember what it looked like the year before, then you'll know. And that's going to help you manage these areas as well. So hopefully that helps. That's all I got on open areas, fields, and stuff like that. I know a lot of property owners out there, or even if you got permission ground, maybe this is something you could get permission to do. It's going to benefit their property unless they're just wanting some really pretty grass field. But those are some things that you can do to improve the wildlife habitat without necessarily having to plant a food plot. Now, of course, that's still one of the most important things, one of the best things you can do. But either if you can't do that or you've got where you're pretty pretty comfortable with the amount of food plots you have, but you don't have enough natural browse, that's another thing that, that's going to be a benefit of managing these fields for early successional growth. Is it going to take some pressure off your food plots so that when all that stuff does become sparse then they can get on your food plots and it's they're not eating your your plots out before it comes deer season so another thing is if you have that big mature forest you're going to be leaning more towards the summer habitat because you've got a lot of canopy there's a lot of shade it's a lot of open area in there where the wind's going to move through whereas if you're in those early stages then you're looking at more of that fall habitat that we talk about all the time that the deer are going to want to be in high stem count they've got browse they've got cover they've got places to make rubs and scrapes and all that, and they can move through it comfortably, and it kills the wind a little bit more. So those are all benefits to doing that. Again, hopefully that helps you guys out. If you have any questions on it, for sure reach out. Again, we do consultations, and we do management work as well. So if you have any need for that or just want to know more, 
get more information or talk to us about it, reach out to us through our socials. Uh, Ridge Hunter OD at Ridge Hunter OD on Instagram. It's Ridge Hunter Outdoors on Facebook. Those are really the only two we use, but those are good ways to reach out to us and ask questions. Also, make sure and follow us on there because you can keep up with everything. Like when all these come out, especially if a full draw Friday comes out on a Sunday and you've been looking for it, then you'll know, hey, it come out on Sunday. But other ways you can do that, you know, you can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, subscribe to the YouTube channel. That really helps out as well. And you can leave a comment on there if you've got questions about it, and I'll try to answer them for you, or at least send you a message or something like that. You can also send us a message through our website, which is ridgehunteroutdoors.com. And you can send us a message if you have any questions, anything we talk about on the podcast. If you have questions about what we do for consulting or management, for sure hit us up on there. And our email is also on there. It's ridgehunteroutdoors at gmail.com. And we've also got our scents on there and some podcast apparel and stuff like that. And anything you guys see on the website that you want to buy, use the discount code FULLDRAW, and that'll get you 10% off. That's all caps, no space, Full Draw, and that's the way you can support. Another way you guys can support the podcast is to go check out our friend Rodney Hawkins with Midwest Farm and Land and RG Outdoors. Now, what he does with Midwest Farm and Land as a land specialist is sell recreational and some residential real estate. And he can also help you get it sold. He can help you buy ground. He can help you get sold what you have to sell. With Midwest Farm and Land, they're not really your average real estate company, if you guys haven't heard of them. They sold over $85 million worth of ground last year alone. They've got agents like Rodney all over Illinois. They're really a local company with a natural re- national reach. For more info on them, any properties that might be available, getting yours listed, you can call Rodney directly at 618-925-3153, and he'll get you taken care of. He's also recently started a new company called RG Outdoors, like I mentioned. He's got hard and soft-sided blinds and blind chairs, all from Radix Blinds. He's got an all-natural scent elimination product called Camo Dust. You guys can check that out at camodust.com for some more info on that. He's got Berna self-defense weapons now. He's also got Tacticam trail cameras, and he's adding stuff all the time. So you can keep up with him on his Facebook page, RG Outdoors. Email him at rgoutdoors at yahoo.com, or again, just call him directly at 618-925-3153. And don't forget to let him know that we sent you. Tell him you heard about him on the Ridge Hunter Outdoors podcast. That'll help us out as well. And you guys can check out some good products. He's got support a local guy um, when it comes to the land as well. If you're looking for something to buy, he's definitely the guy to talk to or if you're looking to sell. So don't forget about him. Appreciate you guys tuning in this week. We'll have another one out for you Friday. And don't forget to check out tomorrow's Monday episode with Luke Oswald. That was a really good one. Had one of the more interesting stories that we've had on the podcast in that one. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to record it with him. I think you guys will enjoy that one. So Be sure to check it out. Again, thanks for listening, everybody.